In today's episode, we open our Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 21. The consequences of past bloodshed have come back to haunt the kingdom of Israel. Famine ravages the land for three consecutive years, prompting David to seek God's help. The Lord reveals that the famine is a result of the bloodshed committed by Saul against the Gibeonites. So in an act of justice and redemption, David reaches out to the Gibeonites, asking how can he make amends? They demand the execution of seven sons of Saul. What does David do? Well, let's find out. Good morning and blessed Pentecost. Today is Tuesday, July 11th, and you're listening to Thy Strong Word, where each weekday morning we explore the Holy Scriptures to which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. Thy Strong Word is made possible by listeners like you who contribute to KFUO. We're also grateful for a generous gift from the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. LHF does important work in translating and making and giving out Lutheran books and materials that stick close to the Bible. They focus on Jesus and they connect with the teachings of the Reformation. The best part, LHF gives all of these out for free to pastors and missionaries and those who need them. To know more about what LHF does and how you can join them in this important work, go to their website at lhfmissions.org. But for now, join me in welcoming my guest this morning to help us explore 2 Samuel 21. It's the Reverend John Lukomsky, Pastor Emeritus and co-host of Wrestling with the Basics on KFUO Radio. Good morning, Pastor Lukomsky. Good morning, Pastor Boo. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. I can't complain. I, I mean, I could, but as, as they say, nobody would listen. Wouldn't do any good. <laughs> You know, we, we, we just came off some of the most beautiful weather that we've had probably in a month and a half. And I understand that uh, the people down there working in the studios at St. Louis, they were telling me they had some really pretty nice weather for St. Louis anyway in July. But it's getting hot again, even in Minnesota. So, yeah, there you it's go. It's been <laughs> absolutely amazing here in Minnesota, and I'm I'm welcoming the warmth. However, I'm getting ready to leave uh, this week on Thursday. I'm taking or going with, I should say, a whole troop of people, 40 people from our circuit. We're heading to the Creation Museum and the Ark Encounter. Have you ever been? Yes, I have. So is this your first trip down there then, Pastor? Yeah, I've never been before, so I'm going with the church for the first time here. You will love it. It is just so, so impressive. The the recreation of the Ark is just breathtaking. And yeah, it's a great place to go. So you you all have a good time. You're going to have a good time. So. Yeah, if the Lord wills, we're going to have a good trip of it, and we're going to a couple other places too, and then I'm going to go visit some family down in North Carolina afterwards. So it's going to be a busy next uh, two weeks or so. But for now, here we are. We're wrapping up pretty rapidly Second Samuel 22. I mean, we've been in it since April, but still, we are coming to the end. Only a few more chapters left. I have you here for chapter 21 today. Before we dive into that text, though, Would you start our time together off in prayer? So, Lord, the story that you've laid before us today has some complications for us, and it will 
it, it seems strange. In fact, maybe we will even wonder about uh, the things that David did in your name. Uh, but but please open this up to us so that we might see what it has to say about our day-to-day -day lives and help us hear this is the story of someone just like us who is a, a man of faith, and yet he's struggling day in and day out to understand exactly what it is you would have him do so that our faith might be strengthened and that we might also be motivated in our love for one another. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, we have, uh, we're right here on the heels of the rebellion of Sheba. Um, tell us a little bit about that. Tell us where we were at just recently so we know kind of what's going on here, because this well, seems like it's sometime later, uh, but in terms of our study, we've just, just finished with Sheba. Okay, well, I'm, I'm going to take, and this doesn't come from me, this comes from several of the commentaries I read I, I, I don't know that this has anything to do <laughs> with the rebellion of Sheba. It, it would appear uh, that what we have here and in the, the next uh, chapter uh, it is this is like an addendum uh, that has been added to the book. Uh, most everyone that I read suggested that this famine that was in the days of David actually didn't happen after the rebellion of Sheba. Uh, this is probably a story that had taken place earlier. Uh, in fact, the one commentator, I got a quote from him here, uh, probably between when he made his uh, uh, covenant with with uh, Jonathan's son and, and before Absalom's rebellion, so roughly between chapter 9 and chapter 16. Uh, and, and the same thing with the stories we'll hear at the end of this chapter about the victories of David's soldiers. These, these are not things that happened at the end of David's ministry, but happened probably early, early in his ministry. Uh, so anyway, that, that's the way I took it. Uh, the author said, well, oh, there's some stories I didn't have before, and I, I need to add them here. And so they're, they're kind of being stuck on the end, as, as is the great hymn of praise that you'll have uh, in the next chapter. So anyway, that, that's what I read. Yeah, I, I certainly I, yeah, I certainly agree. <laughs> I agree that this is uh, much a, an addendum to it. Uh, some of the commentators I read actually put it towards the end of his reign. Some of it put it in different places. I'm not sure that we're can, we can be really certain, and I'm not really sure that it matters. But in terms of the way that it's depicted in the, in the text, we've just finished with this rebellion of Sheba, and then verse 20, I'm sorry, chapter 21, verse 1 begins pretty simply, Now there was a famine in the days of David for three years, year after year. And David sought the face of Yahweh. And Yahweh said, There is blood guilt on Saul and on his house, because he put the Gibeonites to death. So the king called the Gibeonites and spoke to them. Now the Gibeonites were not of the people of Israel, but the remnant of the Amorites. Although the people of Israel had sworn to spare them, Saul had sought to strike them down in his zeal for the people of Israel and Judah. And David said to the Gibeonites, what shall I do for you? How should I make atonement that you may bless the heritage of Yahweh? The Gibeonites said to him, It's not a matter of silver or gold between us and Saul or his house, neither is it for us to put any man to death in Israel. And he said, David said, What do you say that I shall do for you? And they said to the king, The man who consumed us and planned to destroy us so that we should have no place in all the territory of Israel let seven of his sons be given to us, that we may hang them before Yahweh at Gibeah of Saul, the chosen of Yahweh. And the king said, 
I will give them. Well, you mentioned early on that, yeah, we're going to be challenged with some of the responses here and even the requests. Um, So it seems that we have this, the the first issue that comes up is one of justice. Uh, God is exercising, it seems, uh, judgment against the people. That's why we have this famine, and it is because of Saul's sin. How does this all fit into the narrative? Saul's dead. Why, why are his sons, or even David, or the people of Israel, having to pay for his sins? Well, see, uh, here's the thing. When I come at a story like this, my first thought is I want to find some great hidden spiritual truth about Jesus Christ. Because because you 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 and me, Pastor Boo, we're, we're we're Lutherans. We're oriented towards it's all about Jesus, right? Jesus says you search the scriptures and they are which write about me, and, and and sometimes there are remarkable things we can find, and and there's even a hint of that in this chapter too. Uh, but but I I found that sometimes you just have to read these stories like they're about normal people like us, and they're just wrestling with their faith in God and how do we work this faith out in our day-to-day lives. Uh, and, and I think that's what you got going on here. Uh, I, I think the first thing that I thought was neat is David doesn't inquire of the Lord until three years, okay? Because David understands, and we should understand as well, that, that tragedy happens, right? It's just part of living in a sinful world. So you might have one one year of bad crops, and okay, that happens sometimes. We have, might have two years of bad crops. Well, okay. That happens. But when it goes three years, David's begin to think, well, is there something greater going on here? Uh, and maybe we need to inquire of the Lord about this, because that is really unusual to have three straight years of famine, year after year, as the text says. And, and so I think that's something that we need to contemplate. I'm not saying that every time there's a flood or an earthquake or a tornado, uh, that we need to think, oh, is there some specific sin that was done wrong? And this is God punishing us for this specific sin. But I think when when bigger things happen, like COVID, for example, that maybe it is worth sitting down and contemplating, is there something going on amongst us uh, that God would have us repent of? Uh, and, and it seems to me, Pastor Booth, that's one thing we've kind of lost in our nation. Uh, as I read through history, it seems to me that that's how we used to respond. I, I, I guess I'm thinking of what Abraham Lincoln did during the Civil War, uh, where he uh, he called for a day of repentance. And, and there's this beautiful speech where he wrote, and he said, I can tell you why we're having a civil war. Because we were a great nation, and we were greatly blessed by God, and we took him for granted. And, and we thought it was all because of what we did. And we didn't even put God into the picture. And now now we're suffering because of this. And I'm thinking, so that's one thing we can learn from this text, that when there are these big things that happen, we should probably take some time out to contemplate and see, is there something that we need to repent of? And now, now here's here's my question for you, though. We can't do what David did. David went to the Urim of the Thummim. I'm not sure how he inquired of the Lord, but he, he sought the face of the Lord. And the Lord gave him a specific, like, here's the problem. You've got this blood guilt on Saul because he put the Gibeonites to death. Um, so what, what about us? What are we supposed to do? <laughs> we can't do that. Well, let's look at a couple of things. First of all, I want to reiterate or speak back a couple of things you said to make sure I understand. And, and if I sure. do, then I agree with you. So first, the two things you're trying to say so far is that on the one hand, 
every time bad things happen, whether they be famine or pestilence or whatever, we can't jump to the conclusion that this is God's judgment for sin. This is some punishment. Um, at the very least, we can't jump to the conclusion that it's God's judgment for so-and-so specific sin because those things are hidden by God, right? God's absconding yeah. from us in many ways. On the other hand, if I, again, hear you correctly, we must remember, though, that the bad things that do happen are a result of sin in general, and God has in the past used these massive events to bring people to uh, repentance, and that we should probably, you know, reclaim that sense of wanting to to repent to God, to say, you know, or at the very least, you know, now I'm thinking of Jesus and the Tower of Siloam and stuff like that. At the very least, be reminded that that we don't know what's going to happen next, and we should always remain loyal to God. Is that what I hear you saying? Yeah, yeah, that that's exactly what I'm saying, uh, and, and you're right. Uh, but but see, it's always about sin, isn't it? Whatever happens, it's because we live in a sinful world. But but whether it's a specific thing that that we need to call for repentance. But but see, what troubles me is we don't we don't repent at all anymore, do we? Uh, no, no, we just uh, we'll, we'll we'll pray about it. And I'm thinking, well, no, maybe we need to contemplate the fact that we are sinners and and ask ourselves, is there something specific here then that we really do need to address? Uh, and I think that's what this text is reminding us, is that especially in the cases of these national things that impact everything and they go on year after year, those are really times of God calling us, I think, as a people to repent and, and to really think through what, what we may be doing differently. Um, so like I said, this is a special circumstance. I don't think, in fact, that's what's interesting. David didn't, he wasn't like the Greeks who, right, if they needed to make a decision, they'd cut open a, a, a chicken and they'd read the chicken guts. Or, or the Romans, who every day would get up and look at the pattern of the birds, because that was going to determine what was going to happen. Um, but but there were times when, yeah, especially in these great national tragedies, that David would turn to the Lord. And what, what do we need to do? And it's a shame that we don't do that anymore. Because I think in our past history, we did. And I think we were better for it. Well, speaking of justice, God, you know, then reveals to David, however he does it, that there is a particular sin, at least in the in the midst of Israel, and that is a broken covenant. You know, God takes covenants very seriously, especially the ones he makes with us, and this covenant was broken, but it was broken by Saul, who's now dead. And the king goes, that is, David goes to the Gibeonites, and he asks them, how can we make amends? So nowhere does actually, that I notice, does God actually command that he put to death seven sons of Saul, but the slaughter of the seven sons of Saul, it's nice and alliterative, that comes from the, from the Gibeonites' request. So David has to navigate that because he himself made a covenant to the house of Saul, did he not? Yeah, and so... So here's what I like about this story, because it's so easy for us to think, though, oh, we know right away what the right thing is to do. And of course, sometimes it is black and white, right? Thou shall not murder. Oh, but see, then that's the problem, because we are murdering seven people here. Uh, and and, and I, I, I just, I can be so sympathetic for David, because David is a man who is devoted to the word of God. 
and he's trying to sort this out. Uh, and, and you have the problem of the vow, like you said, because Joshua made a vow to the Gibeonites uh, that they, they would be spared. And, and Saul did not follow that. And uh, in, in his zeal, it says, for the people of Israel and Judah, which, which I think, boy, there's a powerful lesson for us to learn in that. He was more concerned about the nation than he was about God, wasn't he, Pastor mm-hmm. Boone? Okay, so yeah. I'm going to go do this, even though he knew. He knew that there had been a covenant made with the Gibeonites, but no, in his zeal for the nation. And I think, boy, don't we do that sometimes? We're more concerned about our country than what God wants us to do as Christians. Uh, now, we're supposed to honor and obey those in authority. I understand that. But on the other hand, we also know that we've got to obey God before we obey man. So you can't just wave the flag and say, well, we're doing it for the country. That means it's right. We have to ask the tough questions. Is this really right and proper in the eyes of God? Um, so he's got the problem of the vows that were made. And, and yet he's also got the problem that the law says you, you can't just turn aside when there's been murder. Murder has to be paid blood for blood. That's what the scripture says. So, okay, well, we've got that command going on. Um, but the one thing you said, Pastor Boo, that, that struck me, that there are other texts in the Bible that are, are tougher because you do have God coming and saying, this is what I want you to do. I, I, I call for destruction. I devote this city to destruction. And boy, those really, really bother us. What, what is my, my, my father-in-law, he said, John, I don't understand how God could simply say that, that everybody should be killed, all the animals, all the children even. Uh, and of course, my answer was, Jerry, you know, that's a really tough one, but, but God's doing the same thing today. He just kills everybody. No, children don't get spared either, you know, but it, it, it's a puzzle. It's a difficulty. But here the text is a little different because, as you said, there is no indication that this is what God wanted David to do, but it is what's done. And, and now we have to sit back as Christians and say, well, was that? Was that what God wanted? Um and, and the one thing I do want to throw in here, when we read the Old Testament and we see the Old Testament people doing things that are probably not what we would do, you, you have to remember, as Paul says, they're living in the shadows. See, see we, we, we don't need to go to God and ask him, well, what's the particular problem here? Because we have a better revelation than that. We have the revelation of Jesus Christ. We, we, we don't live in the shadows anymore. We have the reality, which is Jesus. So we, we, we know. So we don't need this specific ability to go to God and say this particular situation, because we understand that in all things, we need to be repentant. We need to be constantly looking for where we've sinned. And yet at the same time, we also know in all things that we have God's love and God's forgiveness, which, of course, impacts how we then treat the people around us. But would you agree with me that as Christians, knowing Jesus Christ, who has called us to compassion and mercy and to love our enemies. I don't think as Christians we would have done what 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 uh, David did. Do, do you agree with that, or do you think we—I we, don't know. What do you think? Well, you know, I, I honestly don't know because, I mean, okay. David is in a position— David is in a position, he has a vocation that I guess I don't know that— that the average Christian would know how to deal with. So he, he, he can exercise—you mentioned, you know, the fact that murder has to be met with with justice and punishment and he is in a position of exercising the sword of the state and so when he puts these seven men to death in this in their understanding of atonement and their requirement that that things be made even 
I think he is exercising it according to what is lawful. The seven sons, the number seven represents a, a, a symbolic completion so that the, the whole debt is paid, even though that will end up sparing at least one. And frankly, I think David probably is not too hard to convince because the fact that he kills seven <laughs> seven descendants of Saul uh, certainly eliminates a lot of threats to the throne, too, let's be honest. And, and so, see, there you go again. As we contemplate this and, and try to apply it to our lives, I think that'd be one of the questions we'd ask ourselves. Are, are we really doing this out of the concern for justice? Right. Or are we doing it because somehow it's going to benefit us? And, and you know, there are commentators who, who suggest that David did do this simply because he was trying to eliminate uh, the competition from the dynasty of Saul. And I, I don't believe that. But but you have to consider the fact that it it certainly did benefit him. And, and I think that is, again, for us to think about that. So are we making a decision because we're truly concerned about what is right and proper? Are, are somehow our sinful nature pushing us toward this decision because in the end it's going to benefit us in some way? And, and we really need to contemplate that. We really need. See, that's the thing. The world doesn't worry about that. The world just said, well, what, is it right or is it wrong? But but we know that most situations are not quite so clear cut. And so we need to wrestle with that. Is our own personal motivation kind of making us use God's word for what we want to say is right? Uh, you, you know, the biggest problem I would think that David would have had here if he was really focusing on the word of God is that that clear statement that we're, fathers are not supposed to be put to death because of their children, nor should children be put to death because of their fathers. Each one shall be put to death for his own sin, Deuteronomy 24. And I'm thinking, why didn't that weigh on David's mind? Because um, it seems like that's what he's doing. Um, now, 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 on the other hand, see, and, and oh, Pastor Boy, I really appreciate what you said. We don't know, do we? Let's not be so quick to judge David because we don't know the facts that he knows. Maybe these people actually were involved in the destruction of those Gibeonites in which case it would be their sin, in which case it is a, 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 a blood upon Israel that these people have not been dealt with, that they are murderers who have not been punished. And, and you know, maybe when we get to heaven and we know all things, we'll say, oh, oh, that's what was going on here. Well, it would have been nice if you told us that. <laughs> that's right. But, but I, well, I, I think that, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, you mentioned earlier, and I've been thinking about it, we don't have this, uh, I guess, inclination to see the bad things that are happening in the world and then respond to them with repentance. You know, we respond to them with anger, with frustration, with uh, pounding pulpits, with lobbying, but do we, do, we, uh, do we respond in repentance as often as we should? And the answer is we don't. Another thing that this brings up that I think is related is atonement. Have we in the in the church today, just generally speaking, I'm not talking about killing seven sons of someone who wronged you, but still, you know, the Bible speaks frequently of making atonement. And yes, as you mentioned earlier, these things point forward to Christ and his great atonement. But at the same time, you know, Exodus 22, it always it talks about how if something's lost or stolen, um, you should uh make them whole, plus a little extra. <laughs> uh, Leviticus talks about this. Numbers talks about this. You know, add one-fifth to the value of whatever you wronged a person. So 
so when he says, how should I make atonement? I think we're quick to say, oh, atonement, Jesus, Jesus made us, atoned us with God. Well, yeah, but, but in, as, as, as followers of Christ who are to imitate him, do we sometimes forget to make whole the people that we wrong? Or do we find it just easier to ask for forgiveness from God and let it be done with that? Don't even ask forgiveness from the person. I think sometimes we make it just about us and Jesus, but forget the human element that we should make atonement to the people we've sinned against. Right. And and see, I I agree with you completely. But see, that's the thing we know because we have the reality. We're not living in the shadows. So, So we know we don't have to kill seven men to appease God. Because that's the issue here, right? We're trying to appease God. And of course, as Christians, we would realize, no, no, that's just, just wrong. God has been appeased. He's been appeased by Jesus Christ. The, the sacrifices that were made in the Old Testament, they weren't trying to appease God. That's what pagans do, is sacrifice to appease God. No, they were making sacrifices as the reminder that God was going to send the Messiah, the Christ, and he would make the final and absolute atonement. That that was that that sacrifice wasn't trying to make God not angry. Sacrifice was a reminder that God was going to do what was necessary to put aside His wrath. He did. We know that now in Jesus Christ. But Pastor Boosie, you're so right. So so does that mean that we just say, oh well, then I guess I don't have to make it up to someone because I've hurt them, I've injured them. No, that isn't what that means at all. In fact, it means now that you know that God has appeased uh, your sin before Him, you are absolutely free now. To with love and with compassion to seek to, uh, like you said, make atonement with the people that you've harmed. And, and I will say that's the one thing I think that David does right here. He goes to the people who've been harmed and says, what, what can I do for you? <laughs> Which I would say that's probably good advice. If we have hurt someone, maybe we need to just go ask them, how can I be of help to you? What can I do to make up for the wrong that I've done? I agree with you completely. Uh, and, and, you know, it's right. It is. We, we rush right away to the atonement of Jesus. And then let's get on with the rest of the story with missing the point that, no, that there needs to be a love, a love of neighbor. Not, not, not needs to be in the sense that that's going to make God love us, but rather because God has forgiven right. us. Now uh, we want to forgive those around us and we want to make amends to them as much as we can. Well, that's something for us to think about. Why don't we just take a few moments now and go to break? But when we come back, we're going to keep on going. We'll see, does David fulfill the request of the Gibeonites? (laughs) We'll find out when we come back. See you on the other side. These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help, because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan 316.
Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo. With me today is the Reverend John Lakomsky, co-host of Wrestling with the Basics, also on KFUO Radio. Folks, Thy Strong Word and Wrestling with the Basics and all the other programs on KFUO are always within your reach, for the most part. If you're in St. Louis, you can tune to AM850 on your radio, but for those outside that signal's reach, you don't have to fret. You can subscribe to the show using your Go to podcasting app, or you can download the KFEO radio app. Plus, you can listen whenever you like, live or at your own pace on KFUO.org. And if you want to chat or share some thoughts or you have any questions, I'm all ears. You can reach me by dropping an email to Pastor Boo, B O O E, at gmail.com, or you can uh, connect with me on Facebook. I'm over there too. All right. Well, before the break, brother, we were just getting into. Uh, uh, well, what happened, right? You know, let right. seven of his sons be given to us that we may hang them before Yahweh at Gibeah of Saul, the chosen of Yahweh. And the king says, yep, I'll give them. So the Gibeonites, who previously said they weren't allowed to mer- t- take anybody's life, um, now are asking the king to hand over these men so that they can take their life. Seems like there's a little protocol going on here. They're trying to be uh, subservient to to David as they would have been, and say, you know, we can't take anyone's life, but you can certainly give us permission to. And that's, and I think that's what's happening here. Yep, I I, in, I I agree with you. Yep, yeah. Then in verse seven, it continues. Yep. Yeah, let's just read the next few verses, and we'll jump right back in. So, but the king spared Mephibosheth the son of Saul's son, Jonathan, because of the oath of Yahweh that was between them, between David and Jonathan, the son of Saul. The king took the two sons of Rizpah, the daughter of Aiah, whom she bore to Saul, Armani and Mephibosheth, and the five sons of Merab, the daughter of Saul, whom she bore to Adriel, the son of Barzillai, the Methalite. He gave them into the hands of the Gibeonites, and they hanged them on the mountain before the Lord. And the seven of them perished together. They were put to death in the first days of the harvest at the beginning of the barley harvest. All right, we're going to pause right there again at the end of verse 9. So the king spares Mephibosheth, but does deliver over to them seven of his sons. And, and what, what I like about this story is it shows that it's really hard sometimes to do what's right. Because like I said, there's all kinds of things that, that David knows that God has revealed to him. But but it's not quite clear. There, there's some contradictory. There is a concern for keeping the vows, right? Keeping the oath. That's what causes the whole situation because Joshua made an oath to the Gibeonites that Saul then uh, did not keep. But David now, he's got his own problems because he made an oath to Jonathan. And so we say, okay, because of that oath I made to Jonathan, I'm going to spare Jonathan's son. I won't spare some of the other sons uh, and grandsons, though, uh, of Saul, which is also a problem, though, because he spoke that oath to Saul that I wouldn't, I wouldn't kill, kill your ancestors, which is what usually you do. You want to put out the other dynasty. And, and, and as, as we took the break, I was thinking, I, I don't want to judge David. I have no idea what he knew. I have no idea why he made the decisions he made. But, but I think we can look at this and say. Man, when we have to make a decision, we really, really need to think through what we're doing. We really need to ask ourselves, 
are we doing this because it's to our advantage? We, we want to say it's because what God wants, but in truth, it's, it's what we want, see? Uh, and I think we really have to ask ourselves, are we really following the word of God here? Or, or maybe we ignoring other words of God that might cause us to question and reconsider what we're doing. I, I just like the story from that respect, that this is a tough decision for David to make. I'm not going to judge him, but but I am going to judge ourselves, that, that we need to ask ourselves about the decisions and choices we're making. Because, you know, Luther said the life of a Christian is a life of repentance. And, and, and again, we talked about the nation, that we don't do that as a nation much anymore. I'm not sure we do it as Christians as much as we need to do anymore. That we just kind of make up our minds, this is what's right, this is what we're going to do. And, and we never sit back to contemplate, well, maybe maybe there's still some sin in this. Like, like Paul said, the good I want to do, I don't do, and the evil I don't want to do, I do. I just think that's a good thing for all Christians to be constantly examining our actions and asking ourselves, are there things that need to be repented of? Even even what we are trying to do, which is good. And probably more than often than not, yeah, we will see things that need to be repented of. Um, I don't know. What do you think, Pastor Boo? Well, you know, I, I think that we sometimes get this idea that if we do a um, good work, <laughs> if we yeah. do something that we think is what God wants us to do, that we should somehow do it out of this, you know, grand self-sacrificing idea that, that, but I don't believe brother that I don't believe that there's any good work you can do that you do completely selflessly. (laughs) I think that the way the good works are designed, first of all, we benefit from them when we do good work. So if you feel good about doing good for someone, that's, that's not, that's a feature, not a bug. But secondly, I do think because of our sins, we'll, we'll even do, even our good works have to be forgiven, right? I think of, of course, Isaiah 64, right? Uh, all of our righteous acts are like filthy minstrel garments, filthy rags. So we have this idea that even our good works need to be forgiven. And so you're right. If we're doing good works just for ourselves, then that's the wrong motivation. If we're doing good works, but we're trying to punish ourselves by doing them, then I think we have the wrong idea. I think what we need to do is follow Luther's advice and just go do good works because our neighbor needs them. And then we can repent, of course, of our ill intentions, which are almost always there somehow, too. So so here's what's neat. So we have David and he's in that situation that we just talked about. And we're in that situation that we don't always know exactly. And in fact, we can probably be pretty sure that even in the best things we do, there is something still there that would need our repentance. But but now he does exactly what you said Luther says. Now the story is about people who are just doing things in love, okay? That's the only motivation that's going here is because of love and compassion for people. We have this beautiful story now of the of Ritzvah. And we'll also have another beautiful story about it of David, of David doing something that I don't think anyone would fault. We'd say, yeah, this is, this is a good thing, David. This is probably something that should have been done a long time before. So I, I I don't know about you, but I'm ready to move on now to some of the the, the loving, the good things that are being done here in this town. <laughs> well, b- before we do that, I just want to reemphasize, and we've already emphasized it once, but I want to reemphasize that, um, look, they're doing this, they believe, for the Lord, right? So the Gibeonites right. hanged them on the mountain before Yahweh, and the seventh 
of them perish together. So as we're reading this account, and if this is important to keep in mind as we keep reading, that they're doing this in a way that implies Yahweh is on board. But Yahweh yes. has never requested this or requested what happens. And so it's I think it's for us to determine. Oh, I know. Let me rephrase that. It's not for us to determine. But if we want to determine whether this is God-pleasing, I think it's important to pay attention to what happens next. So verse 10. Yes. yes. Then Rizpah, the daughter of Ayah, took sackcloth and spread it for herself on the rock from the beginning of the harvest until rain fell upon them from the heavens. And she did not allow the birds of the air to come upon them by day or the beasts of the field by night. When David was told what Rizpah, the daughter of Ayah, the concubine of Saul, had done, David went and took the bones of Saul and the bones of his son Jonathan from the men of Jabesh-Gilead, who had stolen them from the public square of Bethshan, where the Philistines had hanged them on the day the Philistines killed Saul on Gilboa. And he brought them up from there, the bones of Saul and the bones of his son Jonathan, and they gathered the bones of those who were hanged, and they buried the bones of Saul and his son Jonathan in the land of Benjamin and Zelah in the tomb of Kish his father. And they did all that the king commanded. And after that, God responded to the plea for the land. So take us through this and, uh, and, and tell us talk about some of that love that you were referring to. Well, what, what, man, first before we do that, wow, I wasn't paying attention. What I mean is that last verse, I don't know why I didn't didn't hear that. And after that, after right. that, God responded to the plea for the land. See, because I was thinking about the fact that the rain had stopped and everything. Well, we don't know for sure. Did God accept the fact that they killed these seven men? Well, maybe he did because the rain stopped, you know, that was, or the rain started. I'm sorry, not stopped, the rain started. But, 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 it, oh man, it, the text is so clear. No, 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 no. It wasn't the killing of those seven men that appeased God. It was these acts of love. That's what exactly. God, that's what he responded to. Wow. Talk about missing the headline. <laughs> so I'm glad we're <laughs> but doing that, this but, together. But that is so, it is, I do believe it's very I think it is made clear here, right? He's not endorsing yes. the action, and it's only until after the bodies are taken down and they're buried with the respect due, you know, anyone, then they, uh, then God, then decides to answer David's prayer. I, I think it actually implies that God is displeased with the action uh, that they took. Uh, and God's only I, I, wish is that David would reconcile with the Gibeonites. There's no argument here that he couldn't have negotiated a different reconciliation. But at the end of that, of course, God is still faithful to his people, even in the spite of what we might see as a pretty sinful response to trying to please God. I, 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 yeah, and it's, it's, man, that's just so awesome. I'm so glad you and I did this study together because, like I said, I, I missed that completely. And yet you're absolutely right. It's so clear. So, so, so let me just put you in David's position. So David's done this, but David's a, he's a believer. And I think he's wrestling with this. He's thinking, well, yeah, yeah, the Bible did call for blood for blood. So maybe, maybe that, but then again, the Bible said, I'm not supposed to punish the sons for the sins of the father. Oh, here's the bigger problem. These Gibeonites have these bodies hanging up, uh, you know, and that's what they want because they want to say, oh, look, we're right. And, 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 but is this more a thing of vengeance than of justice? Man, I'm beginning to think this is a thing because, you know, the law also clearly says you're not supposed to let them hang overnight. 
You're supposed to bury them. You can kill them, but you don't leave them hang in shame. That's what pagans do. And I'm thinking David is really wrestling with this. He's not sure. And then this gal, this gal, this this mother, she just does the most motherly loving thing that you could do. And her sons are dead. You think, why would she care? But that's how mother's love is. It doesn't end. That's how our love is. It doesn't end when someone dies. We continue to love them. And so she does this sacrificial thing of just laying out there so that they, the animals and the birds don't peck at her son's bodies. And, and David sees that and he says, oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I've been so wrong. And I need to do something about it. See, because that's what you talked about earlier, that, that that's what repentance is. You just don't say, well, I'm sorry. God forgives me. Forget it. No, no. What must I do? And now he knows what he must do. He's got to take these bodies down. And it should have been done long before Saul's body and Jonathan's body should have been returned. It should have been given a, a place of memorial. And, and he does that. And, and you're absolutely right. What is God's response to what is obviously a good thing, a loving thing? He responds to the plea for the land. So I agree with you completely. I do not think it was because seven men were hung up and killed. No, no. But it was because David and this this uh, this woman had acted in love. Um, I, okay. Are we on the yeah. same page here? Or? We are. We are. And and actually, if it's okay with you, you know, the, we haven't heard from the Philistines in a while, and they actually reappear in this chapter after a pretty lengthy absence from the from the narrative. I think it's been since, I don't know how long it's been, but it's been a, many, many chapters. Uh, and, and so that's how this chapter ends. Anything about this other event before we move on? Because as you said earlier, you think this is just sort of, an additional thing too that the author of Second Samuel is wanting yeah. to make sure people know, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's chronological. And and so yeah, I just want to say again, so so you look at this story, and and this is what we all need to do. We need to wrestle. If if you think you're doing the absolutely right thing, maybe you better step back a little bit and 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 reanalyze that because it may be that you're not, and there may be some things that are good, but some things that need to be repented of. And and then just do do the loving thing, do the compassionate thing, because you can't go wrong with that. You can't go wrong with that. And if even in that there is some sin, we know of course that God will love and forgive us for that. Uh, as he certainly, I'm sure, did for the, the people here. But yeah, I'm ready to go on to the, the next stories, which are a little more straightforward, I think. So, uh, Yeah, I think so, too. Let's just start with verse 15, and I'm going to read to the whole end of the section. Here we go. Yeah. There was war again between Philistines and Israel, and David went down together with his servants, and they fought against the Philistines, and David grew weary. And Ishbi Benob, one of the descendants of the giants whose spear weighed 300 shekels of bronze and who was armed with a new sword, thought to kill David. But Abishai, the son of Zariah, came to his aid and attacked the Philistine and killed him. Then David's men swore to him, You shall no longer go out with us to battle lest you quench the lamp of Israel. Now after this there was again war with the Philistines at Gob. Then Sebekai the Hushethite struck down Saph, who was one of the descendants of the giants. And there was again war with the Philistines at Gob. Elhanan, the son of Jaare Oregim, the Bethlehemite, struck down Goliath the Gittite, the shaft of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. And there was again war at Gath. There was a man of great stature there who had six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot, twenty-four in number. And he also was descended from the giants. 
And when he taunted Israel, Jonathan, the son of Shimei, David's brother, struck him down. These four were descended from the giants in Gath, and they fell by the hands of David and by the hand of his servants. Okay, that ends actually the whole chapter. Um, there are still some things that stand out here, right? I mean, it's a yeah, pretty straightforward yeah. text, but uh, I mean, we're talking about giants and stuff here. <laughs> Take us through this. What in the world? A giant, not only giants, but one guy who has a hexadigitation, that is six <laughs> on each uh, each of his uh, hands and feet. Yeah, so thank you for giving us the technical word, hexadigitation. <laughs> yeah, it's fun to say, uh, too, hexadigitation. Yeah. And, and of course, see, see, I love those details because it's a reminder. We're not reading Aesop's fables here. You know, this isn't a story. Oh, yeah, great giants come. And of course, we prevail. No, we're, that is true. <laughs> great giants are against us, too. The devil, like a roaring lion in the, the world in our sinful flesh. And we will prevail over all of those. But let us not forget, this is history. This stuff really happened. They they weren't fighting uh, 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 allegorical giants. They were fighting real giants. And, of course, with the help of the Lord, they, they, they were victorious. Uh, so I, I love the detail here. Um, and, and, of course, there's lots of interesting things. So, so I thought it was David that killed Goliath. <laughs> but here we're told that someone else kills uh, Goliath the Gittite. Elhanan kills him. Uh, I don't know. So, because uh, because boy, the commentators they they go on that from all different sides. Have you got an sure. answer that you find satisfactory for that? Yeah, I, I what what I have been satisfied with is that this is indeed a scribal mistake. It's just an error. Yeah. Um, we have not an error in the original autograph. That is, God's word is perfect, but when we write it down, there are sometimes errors and. We've talked about this on this show, but in First Chronicles chapter 20, the error seems to be corrected. Uh, verse 5, it says, And there was again war with the Philistines, and Elhanan, the son of Jair, uh, struck down Lami, or Lema, Lami, the brother of Goliath, the Gittite, the shaft of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. So David killed Goliath of Gath, the Gittite. Here it says that Elhanan killed him. But we know from elsewhere that it actually was his brother that he killed, which makes sense. And why a scribe who's copying this may have had Goliath in mind if it's Goliath's brother. In fact, maybe he meant to write Goliath's brother. But as he's copying it down, either he wants to sometimes they want to add clarity. Sometimes they want to make things a little bit more clear. And this guy, I think he just made a mistake and it's been passed down for thousands of years. But I think it'd be worth explaining to the people, Pastor, why these small mistakes shouldn't cause us to doubt the the word of Scripture, though. What well, do you think? Well, see, again, to me, that proves the truth of Scripture, because, you, you know, you get like the, 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 the whole Mormon thing and, and the Book of Mormon, and it's remarkable how there are no, there are no uh, textual problems with that book. Well, of course, the, the thing is, is because that book was written, what, within the last 100 or 200 years, whatever, I don't know when they, but it hasn't been all that long, you know, we're, we're talking about documents that exist for thousands and thousands of years, we're talking about documents that, that other historical documents don't even exist anymore. A handful of other documents exist, uh, and, and most of those come in, in bits and fragments. Uh, so to me, the fact that you got this, oh, this is a real thing. 
This isn't something somebody made up and sat down somewhere in a cave and wrote it down. No, this is this is a historical document that's been passed from generation to generation. And, you know, we didn't have copy machines and we don't have computers, so it all has to be handwritten. And so, yeah, yeah, there, there's going to be some mistakes. And, and like you said, that seems to be the most obvious answer because we have the parallel account in Chronicles. And it's the same wording, almost word for word, except that little phrase, the brother, the brother of Goliath. Um, so anyway, I always rejoice in that stuff because if it were fake, you wouldn't have that. But the very fact that it's real and true, of course, this is what we know happens in historical documents. Things get left out. But it, but as you pointed out, it doesn't change anything. The, the, the truth that's being said, that, that there are all kinds of little different uh, things in the manuscripts, but none of them change any of the teachings that we believe. Uh, I always tell people, you will not find a manuscript that said the disciples went to the tomb and they found the body. <laughs> no. Right, right. It's no. it's always, no. you know, well, this manuscript uses the word Jesus, and this one uses the word Lord, and you yeah. can kind of figure out, okay, it was Lord, but then they added Jesus for clarity, and, you know, should have they have done that? Probably not, but that's just how, how it works. And so, yeah, you're right, none of the variants ever you know, really turn up the the faith on their head or anything like that. But yeah, so, you know, we have this, these giants, though, you know, the, the idea of having six fingers on your each of your, uh, you know, the hexadigitation thing, having that is a medical condition that we see today. Uh, yes. uh, gigantism is a condition we see today. Uh, very, very tall, very, very strong men from from breeding after people who are tall and strong is something we see today. Nothing in this text, despite how, I guess, outlandish unbelievers might want to make it sound, is really all that outlandish. These are, are first of all, I would say, I would like to argue that people are generally shorter back then, so people who are particularly tall would be that much more giant. And then, secondly, it's really also about the, the presence they give. Um, you have these giants, and they're legitimately large people, but they're also a war-mongering nation. And so, you know, they're they're emphasizing this with their tall helmets, with the, then the feathers that go up even taller. You know, they're they're really playing into this idea. And what we see here, though, is that no matter which star fighters that the uh, that the Philistines send, the people of Israel are continuously victorious, and it is because of God. And, and, and that's the crucial thing, that, that if you're measuring it in human terms, there's no way that these soldiers of David win. There's just no way they're going to win. These, these men outclass them. If we were doing worldwide wrestling here, uh, th this would be the big, you know, this would be the champion guy with a belt. And obviously the little punk guy that's coming in, there's no way he's going to defeat him. But... As you said, in each one of these cases, they do. And, and that's the point. They do not because of their strength, not because they're so good, but simply because the Lord is blessing them. Uh, and, and that's what we need to realize, too. We, we live in a society that says, oh, you have to be powerful. You have to be strong. And, and however you measure that strength in terms of your intellect, in terms of your money, this is how you get to be successful. And, and of course, the whole teaching of Christianity is, well, there is a certain amount of worldly success that comes from that. But in terms of real victories, no, 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 no. That's always given by the Lord. And, and as the text, as the Bible says, he often gives us to the most unexpected people. 
In fact, it's the poor he's always lifting up, isn't it? It's not the strong and the mighty. Those are the ones who end up getting put down. So actually, if you think about this story, it's the same thing that Mary is saying in the Magnificat, isn't it? If you want to come to God with your might and your power, God will say, you have no might. You have no power compared to me. Let me show you how it really is when you come before me. But when we come before the Lord, uh, humble and poor, what's it say? No, he, he lifts us up. He feeds us. You know, he takes care of us. He provides for us. And, and that's what these stories are illustrating. And again, I don't want to turn this into some kind of fable. No, this is reality. This is what he did for these people. And you know what? Pastor Boo, he's doing it for us day in and day out. Uh, the sad thing is, like Lincoln said, we, we don't see it. We, we take it for granted or we think it's because of what we've done. Uh, and then maybe we need to be called to repentance. So, Well, the last thing I want to discuss before we end the show today is um, this. It's, it's right here in verse 17. And it says, Then David's men swore to him, to David, You shall no longer go out with us to battle, lest you quench the lamp of Israel. And I thought, well, that's interesting. In a first reading, my first thoughts are, you know, I, I guess David is just so admired by the people of Israel. He's such a, such a powerful, magnanimous king. People are so respective of him that if he were to die in battle, that would be devastating for the people of Israel, and that's what they mean. And then I thought, well, I thought about what you would say, right? It's about Jesus, <laughs> the Lamp yes. of Israel. Second Chronicles uh, 21, Yahweh was not willing to destroy the house of David because of the covenant that he made with David, and since he had promised to give him a lamp to him and to his sons forever. Lest you quench the Lamp of Israel, has nothing to do with David. The lamp of Israel is Jesus, I realized. They're worried about—I shouldn't say worried, but they are working to ensure that they don't get in the way of God fulfilling his promise to them. And 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 that's the thing. David, David is a light because the Lord is the light for David, right? Second Samuel—no, right. I'm sorry. Yeah, Second Samuel 22, for you are my lamp, O Lord. And my God lightens my darkness, David says. Psalm 18, for it is you who light my lamp. The Lord, my God, lightens my darkness. And of course, as you pointed out, this is this is pointing ahead to Jesus Christ, who says, I am the light of David, the light of Pastor Boo, of Pastor John, of all of our listeners, uh, the, the light of the world. Um, and, and, and just one really quick note here, too. You know, we don't know when these stories took place. And so this story might actually provide an explanation for why uh, earlier, when everyone else was going out to battle, uh, David stayed at home. Maybe this happened, and that's why David did not go out and stayed in Jerusalem, which, of course, would then lead to David's great failure, uh, his sin with Bathsheba, and a reminder in a very dramatic way that, no, David isn't the light. The only right. one who is the light is Jesus Christ. And it's a reminder to me, too, that, that I'm not the light. And I probably say things and do things that are wrong, and God forgive me and move me to see that and repent and make amends for that. Uh, but thank God I know the light that is uh, Jesus Christ and his grace and forgiveness. Well, that is a great place to end it this morning. I'd like to thank my guests, the Reverend John Lukomsky, Pastor Emeritus and co-host of Wrestling with the Basics on KFUO Radio. 
Uh, brother, remind the people where they or when they can hear your program. Well, we're we're podcasting, so if you've got any any of those podcasting apps, just look for Wrestling with the Basics. We're on uh, KFUO uh, on Saturday mornings live on the radio. Our KFU also has all of our uh, shows uh, on their their a podcast portion of the, their website too. So really you can listen to us anytime you want, just like you can listen to this show anytime you want, That's right. which is a real, a real blessing. Cause there was a time, you know, when, if you, if you weren't available at 11 o'clock or, or nine o'clock <laughs> on Saturday, you, you couldn't hear it. But now thank God you can hear this stuff all the time. So. KFEO makes it easy. They do a great job and I'm grateful to them and I'm grateful to you. Thanks for being on the show uh, and, tomorrow. And thank you. When, thank oh, you for, for oh, well, inviting yeah. me. Yeah, that was, that was, this is a <laughs> great episode, yeah. Always uh, happy to talk with your brother. Uh, tomorrow, though, when we come back, we're going to open up Chapter 22. We're invited into an intimate moment as David pours out a heartfelt song of praise. It's basically one of his psalms, but it's included right here in Second Samuel. And uh, that's it for us today. Until tomorrow, may God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray. Father, keep us in thy strong word.